hello and welcome to the Peregrine Podcast from the Hoover Institution, offering insight and analysis on the issues facing America on the topic of immigration. I'm your host, Troy Senek, and joining us today is Alex Narasta, immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity. Alex, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. So your piece in Peregrine is about the need to expand and reform guest worker visas. So uh, before we get into some of the specific recommendations that you're making, and there are a lot of them, so I recommend that our listeners read the piece, let's tackle this at the conceptual level. Um, You write early on in your essay, quoting you here, demand for all kinds of labor in the United States is strong and immigrants are willing to supply it. But federal restrictions stand in the way. Almost no green cards, permanent visas, are available for low and mid-skilled immigrants, end quote. Okay. So right there, you have taken us to an interesting place because one of the few areas that most people seem to agree on on this topic is high-skilled immigration, right? No one seems terribly threatened by the idea of a firm in Silicon Valley hiring up a, a graduate student from India. But when you get to these low and mid-level workers, you immediately run into the objection. Look at the state of our own labor markets, unemployment, labor force participation. Why open these jobs up to foreigners and increase the pressures on American labor? How do you respond to those critics? Well, there are many sectors of the U.S. economy, low and mid-skilled, that have relatively low unemployment rates, where there are opportunities to grow the workforces and to grow the industries and these economies uh, in these sectors of the economy um, that a lot of native-born workers simply are not moving into for various reasons. Maybe it's because uh, U.S. labor mobility is lower than it used to be, or maybe it's because Americans don't have the specific skills required for these jobs. And for many of these jobs, uh, foreign workers, immigrant workers, migrant workers uh, can fill this niche uh, for a period of time. One other sort of broader question here, and then I promise you we will go headlong into the specifics of the visa program. But uh, as as you well know, people who take a different view on this issue than yourself will often say, look, all you have to do is enforce the law. If you're here illegally, we ought to get you out of the country. End of story. Now – and, and correct me if I, if I have you wrong here. I don't read your argument in Peregrine to be so much that uh, enforcement is a, a bad idea, though it seems to me that you think even effectively enforcing the law would be in a lot of cases effectively enforcing bad law or misguided law. But you really argue in the piece that A, enforcement generally doesn't work and B, you probably do more to curb the problems with illegal immigration by reforming the legal system than you do with trying to more stringently enforce the law. Explain that. Yeah, so good laws, following good laws uh, and having respect for the law requires the laws to be actually enforceable. I mean the government can't just pass any type of regulation and then throw an infinite number of resources toward enforcing those. The laws need to be enforceable on the base level. Uh, What a lot of people don't realize about our immigration laws is um, to quote Associate Justice Harry E. Hall Jr., um, they are second only in complexity to the Internal Revenue Code. They are enormously complicated, enormously bureaucratic, um, and enormously difficult to enforce. Uh, U.S. history is full of examples of these laws on the books and the government throwing vast resources trying to enforce them with relatively little to show for it except additional regulation and the hiring of numerous bureaucrats or enforcement agents 
that don't really get at the problem. One solution that has been proposed uh, in this regard is uh, the E-Verify system, right. which is a government-run um, electronic employment eligibility verification system. And how it works is every time a somebody is hired in an American company, the American employer is supposed to run the worker's identity information through a government database to verify that they're able to work. And, and the stated objective of this is to weed out illegal immigrant workers from the workforce and free up those jobs uh, for Americans. Um, for, fortunately, we've had an experiment with this in numerous states like Arizona, which have mandated this since 2008. And what we find is that E-Verify does not turn off the jobs magnet for illegal immigrants in that state. Um, the typical Mexican worker who moves to Arizona can expect a 253% increase in their wages from Mexico to Arizona. What E-Verify did, uh, the results of this, is it lowered the wage gain from 253% to a mere 250%. <laughs> so it hardly turned off the jobs magnet in, in that sense. And uh, to go to your other point about how a guest worker program can diminish illegal immigration to begin with by funneling a lot of these people into the legal market, but providing a legal way for them to enter and work above board where we know who they are, where we can do a security check on them, um, disincentivizes illegal immigration in the first place. Right. And we actually had a lot of experience with this in the 1950s when there were about 2 million Mexican illegal immigrants in the country. They reformed a guest worker visa program at the time called the Bracero Program. And as a result, within about a two-year period from 1953 to 1954, uh, the number of illegal immigrants in the country decreased by about 95%, and the number of border crossers, illegal border crossers, decreased by about the same amount because all of a sudden, uh, American employers could hire illegal workers and the immigrants themselves would come legally. So it really destroyed that black market. Okay, so I, I promised you we'd get to the visa issue itself, and, and here we are. So, uh, Alex, here's the thought experiment. You are a staff member for a newly elected member of Congress, one who's paid precious little attention to this issue. He was out raising money and railing against Obamacare, hasn't given this any thought. And your task is to explain to him why the status quo is unsatisfactory, why the way we do the visa program now is subpar. So what are the two or three glaring defects that you point to to convince him that we can do this better? I think the one thing I would show him the first thing would be how difficult to impossible it is for almost any low-skilled worker to come to this country legally to work. I think breaking down that misconception is the number one task of uh, people like myself out there who uh, argue for more a, a more liberal uh, immigration system. Um, there's a misconception that it's easy to come here, and that's just not true. So that's the first thing that I would put out there. The second thing that I would try to argue is that the current system we have right now, which is very restricted, is simply not working. And it's not a matter of enforcement. We have about eight to nine times more Border Patrol agents than we did uh, 25 years ago. Um, we have are spending billions of dollars more on immigration enforcement than we did before. Um, and it's not having the desired effect. And the third point I would make, and, and this is sort of an unlibertarian point, so I feel guilty making it, but... Uh, <laughs> You can't uh, – the government cannot regulate a black market. It can only regulate a legal market. 
So if we're concerned about the bad impacts of illegal immigration, if we're concerned about a vast black market in our midst of immigrants working in the United States, the best way to control, to regulate, to have a handle on that market is to legalize a large portion of it and to legalize the flows going forward through a guest worker visa program so that the government can actually understand what's going on and actually deal with legitimate security, criminal, or health issues that arise from this. Can you talk about for a moment some of the restrictions in the visa program? I mean you mentioned a moment ago how restrictive it was in terms of people being able to get in. But there are an awful lot of restrictions placed on people under the program once they have gotten in the country. Can you explain some of those? Sure. I mean uh, to get the uh, – I guess well, we can start with the uh, H-1B visa, which is one of the most well-known. This is for uh, more highly skilled workers, uh, temporary worker visa. Uh, essentially, the worker is sponsored by an American company. It's very difficult for that worker to change jobs once they're here in the United States. So they're essentially tied to the same employer. Um, if they quit their job, they immediately become illegal and are subject to deportation uh, in the United States. So that's one very bad set of rules. Um, if we're worried about immigrant workers being you know, exploited by their employers or treated harshly on the job, the best way to counter that is to give them the ability to quit, just like the rest of us. Uh, when we don't like our employers, we could quit our jobs, and that puts a lot of um, discipline on the employers to treat people well. Workers on the H-2A visa also face an enormous number of restrictions. The H-2A is for low-skilled agricultural workers. Uh, farmers who want to hire these uh, workers have to go through an enormously complicated process dealing with four different federal agencies in order to hire these workers. Once the workers are here, they are required to be housed and fed by the employers on uh, at the employer's expense, which is something that doesn't occur for other workers in the private market. I mean, you and I, you know, Cato does not supply my housing. They pay me money, then I buy housing elsewhere. Right. Um, and then you have uh, basically these farmers have to give up a lot of their, um, their, their rights under the Fourth and Fifth Amendment to have bureaucrats come onto their property without any kind of notice to inspect the housing and meet sort of arbitrary government standards. So workers might these migrant workers might rearrange their housing to their liking by moving beds around or moving beds closer to heating or furnaces, etc. But if the government bureaucrats come in and find this and it violates some government code, then the farmer gets in trouble. Um, the farmers are also responsible for moving the workers back and forth from their home countries. So there's just an enormous number of rules that make it an unworkable guest worker visa program. Now, in our remaining time, I want to take up a couple of the reform ideas that you have here in this piece because there are a lot of ideas in this piece, but there are a couple that really stand out as as innovative, as things we haven't really heard before on this issue. Um, one example, you have a proposal in here for uh, taxing migrant workers but for putting those earnings in a, a separate account instead of turning them over to the government. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts in this one, so explain what you have in mind there. So the idea is to make the system uh, sort of self-enforcing and to align the incentives of the workers so that they return home at the end of their guest worker visa tour uh, of, of work in the United States. So part of it would be to take the taxes that they pay, would pay to FICA or Social Security and Medicare uh, taxes and put almost all of that into a fund or a bank account or investment fund in the worker's name that they get once they leave the United States at the end of their term. Now, if the worker violates the terms of his employment, if he commits a felony, if he enters the black market and ditches his employer, then he would violate um, the rules of the visa and he would lose that money that he contributed to that fund. 
Um, and importantly, that fund would then either be used to compensate the victims of a crime, for instance, or the, or the government for prosecuting them. But um, uh, ideally, um, it would also be turned over if the worker just works in the black market, it'd be turned over to immigration and customs enforcement as a bounty so that once the worker is apprehended and uh, removed from the United States, uh, immigration and customs enforcement would get the value of that account as sort of a reward for removing the worker if he violates it. It also aligns the incentives because it gives the worker a very good reason to follow the rules of the contract. That is, he gets uh, the money that he put away in this account as returned to him uh, once he leaves the United States. So instead of relying on sort of a complex machinery of government identification systems and hiring uh, more law enforcement officers to check up on people, it incentivizes the worker himself to follow the rules and to leave the United States. There's a, another interesting passage here where you draw an analogy to uh, international trade in goods and say that in that set of circumstances, we know that tariffs are bad but that they're less destructive than quotas. And You draw an analogy there with immigration, with essentially the international market in labor. Explain how that works. So, you know, as uh, as economists, we all know that free trade is the best option, uh, but there are worse ways to restrict trade than there are uh, than other ways. There there are less harmful ways to do it. Now, if we're going to have something less than open borders, which we definitely will, um, most of the current immigration visa systems are run on quotas. They only allow, say, sixty six thousand agricultural work, I mean, uh, uh, low-skilled workers and leisure, for instance, per year, if you were to get rid of all those quotas and instead charge a fixed price of, say, $5,000 for a guest worker visa uh, for, for a term of a number of years, then it allows the market to adjust uh, every year based on the amount, uh, the number of workers that are demanded. So instead of having an arbitrary government-determined quota, the numbers can shift each year. The government charges a price. Uh, for that, removes most of these regulations, and as a result, the government can capture some of the economic gains to these workers, and it incentivizes American firms to hire American workers first, which is something that is agreed upon in most of these debates, and it gets rid of a lot of the pernicious sort of wealth-destructive uh, regulations that permeate this uh, the, the, these green card and uh, guest worker visa policies and changes all of those regulations and turns it into a price so that people know what they have to pay, they know what they have to pay in advance, and they know uh, that if they do that, then they're able to get a visa. And it removes a lot of the incentive to uh, come unlawfully as well as decreases a lot of the uncertainty having to deal with lawyers and government bureaucrats, etc. Last question for you. You note several times in your piece the same principle that you just mentioned a moment ago that we're, we're never going to get to the world of pure um, efficiency on immigration that somebody who is approaching the issue from an economic view would want and that you have to make concessions to political reality. With that in mind, how confident are you that any in a, immigration reform that could actually become law in the near future would actually, even if it wasn't perfect, at least get most of the big stuff right on the economic side? Oh, well, that's, that is a very a difficult question. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot of moving parts when it comes to immigration right. reform. A lot of disparate, different interest groups as well as just opinions of um, the politicians and the voters who are in charge 
of uh, this issue. But the dynamic, the, the dominant form of approaching immigration reform for the last 12 years has been to do it in a comprehensive way. You put all of these different features into one bill, and as a result, you can get all the different moving parts working together. And the different features are, you know, enforcement, legalization of some illegal immigrants here, and reforming the legal immigration system along the lines that I suggest in my piece. So the idea is if you get all this stuff together, all of the different interest groups, all of the people who support at least part of it will support all of it. Now, I'm not sure if that's the best strategy because it's failed every year for the last 12 years. <laughs> right. So I think perhaps a more piecemeal approach. We split up the bills in a different ways. We create a guest worker visa program along the lines that I suggest here. We reform high school immigration, a different bill. There's an enforcement bill and then some sort of legalization bill. Um, and to separate all this out so that we can at least get some portions of it, hopefully the good portions um, in the law, could drastically improve the, um, the, the, how our immigration system works and I think renew the promise that this country has held out to millions of people throughout the world, which is a, a bastion of uh, economic prosperity as well as individual liberty. And uh, it, when it comes to that, reforming the legal immigration system, making it possible for people to come here is the most important component of any future immigration reform. All right. Our guest has been Alex Narasta, immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity. Alex, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.